Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 536 on Tuesday, the 1st of August, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And as everyone seems to have gone on holiday, in the news we'll be lifting every stone to try and uncover something to talk about. In new new car news, we'll see if bigger is in fact better. And in points of interest, we catch up on a rather unexceptional day. But first, there is a smidgen of follow-up, and I imagine you have heard about it, because it is the latest in the culture wars, and that is the ULES has been actually ruled legal by the High Court. That's the London ULES, by the way. I've noticed it's only being referred to as the ULES, which is incredibly London-centric. Yeah, because the other places call them different things. They they call Mm -hmm. them clean air zones and... Uh, London has seems to have trademarked ULES. Um, but the High Court has ruled that his expansion is legal. They did make the point that the consultation uh, conducted was not in-depth, but it was lawful. That means that from the 29th of August, everywhere inside the M25 effectively will now be subject to a £12.50 charge per day for vehicles that do not meet the requirements on engine emissions. One of the things I kept seeing people pointing out was, of course, this means that if you're going to and from Heathrow, then as soon as you turn off the M4, you happen to have entered the Jules, so even just going to and from Heathrow. But, of course, remember, this doesn't apply to all cars. I think that that's something that many people have forgotten. Yeah. Just ones that don't meet certain, I can't remember what the numbers are. It's Euro 4 for petrol and Euro 6 for diesel. Yeah, yeah, it's the diesel, it's the Euro six diesel one, so it's the tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, but yes, if it's if you've got cars that are newer than those, or comply with with those, then you don't have to to pay this charge. I say you don't have to pay you you don't pay this charge. Yeah, you're not subject to it. At I all. just made I just made it sound like it was optional. You could if you wanted to, but <laughs> nobody wants to pay the ruddy thing anyway. So, no. no. Do you want to take us to new news, please? Um, Aston Martin and Geely yet again. Uh, this seems to be. Uh, an ongoing thing, but uh, Geely has upped its investment in Aston Martin once again. In May, it took it to 17%, and at 17%, they now have a board member. The board member is going to be the CEO of Geely, Daniel Lee, uh, as uh, as Geely is now the, the third largest uh, shareholder. In May, the investment was £234 million or just under $300 million. And yes, that, that gives it the right to a board seat. Geely now has, as I said, 17% stake and is third after the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund uh, and uh, Lawrence Stroll. Yes, with the unfortunately named U-Tree. Yes, yes. It's, it's, I'm sure it's fine. Just I'm sure it's fine at the time it was named. I'm sure it's fine just about everywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing will be whether... Mr. Lee actually makes any difference on the board in terms of steering uh, their strategy. If if he even if he even can, yeah, or if he wants if he even to. Can, but remember, if he wants to as well. But he and Geely have more; they have more experience in, in automotive and actually making cars than either the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund or even you know Stroll. Yeah, and also Geely does have quite a portion of Mercedes shares, and Aston Martin is tying deeper with Mercedes in terms of technology, mm. particularly engine technology, but the, it's like the mm. infotainment and that side of things as well, as they are prepping themselves to go to this EV future. As well as that small and medium 
size, you know, market vehicles as well. So Lotus, yeah. Polestar. There's the thing with Geely is there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of knowledge that can be, that can be brought in, that can be used yeah. uh, in there. I like the line in here that says, uh, this is from the Automotive News Europe article that's linked in the show notes. It says, analysts have in the past said that Aston's lack of scale and precarious cash balance made it vulnerable. Isn't that the entire story of Aston Martin? Yeah. Change date to fit appropriate time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, I am going to move us on. And over the weekend, news was released from Reuters that stated that it claims Tesla had created a secret team to suppress the complaints from thousands of owners over the range of Tesla vehicles. There will be a link in the show notes to the Reuters original article, the Ars Technica uh, summary article, but also um, mm -hmm. a video from Bjorn Nyland, who puts his well-educated and experienced opinion and thoughts uh to not exactly counter, but to put some context on top of these claims. Should, should we deal with possibly the bit that's uh, let's let's talk about talk about that second? I think the first claim here that that people are annoyed about is is the fact that there was a diversion team yes. put into place that, whose only job was to try to deal with these complaints about range yeah. and people not making advertised ranges. And it was a case of they, they said that they'd done things like remote diagnostics and all sorts of things like that, and they would just basically cancel the service appointments because this was a this peaks at a point where there were so many requests for Tesla service appointments they just couldn't keep up. I mean, and that that's an ongoing thing to be honest. Yeah. And so what they were doing was they were trying to cancel as many of those range related appointments as they possibly could. So so that's the first thing is that yeah. they were trying to shut stuff down without saying no 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 that's that's about right but may not have been the cards yeah i i think there's a couple of things in here i mean the, the report makes it clear that they're claiming tesla over exaggerated its range but i would also mm. suggest um not that i'm defending tesla here in any way because we don't know the full truth here as with everything with tesla who knows what the full truth is but uh, i would be unsurprised Either way, if this did turn out to be true, did not turn out to be true, or some bit in the middle where bits of it were I true. think it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, however, I think what this actually does underline, and I think it's something that the those of us who talk about uh, particularly electric cars need to grasp and start doing a better job at communicating, is that it is now moving to people who've never had an interest in electric cars never wanted to drive one but now they do because they or are any more, cars ever yeah but yeah exactly as well that on top they are now moving into this technology which is new to them um and they are going with certain expectations which need to be managed and perhaps the car industry mm -hmm. and like i say those of us who discuss and talk or write about cars need to get better at communicating because they, it was talking about, oh, uh, one of the, the bits is uh, we were driving along and the range dro dropped as we were driving along. And it's like, well, as someone who's driven quite a number of electric cars, I mean, well, that's what happens. Not in, and I don't mean that in a patronising way, but that is that you will see that that happens all the time, depending on how you drive, depending on the con environmental conditions. Because we've done reviews where the weather has been lovely 
and we've done reviews where the weather yep. has not been, and that has a marked difference on a car's ability to perform. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that more normal people <laughs> are are getting access to these cars, they are not appreciating this is how this is how this technology works. It's not even that, Andrew. It's, it, at the time, it was very much more about uh, early adopters. And they wanted the new, the, the shiny one they'd put down there. There was $100 for Model 3. Yeah. They'd finally got Model 3 um, after waiting a long, long time. And so their expectations might have been one thing, uh, whereas the reality is slightly different. And it's not, not really their fault, but there's also not necessarily something wrong with the cars. Yes. And it's a combination. I think it's a combination of all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in here, but obviously, then just having a, just having a, I don't know. But if it's that big a problem, and having a, having a, a service center, which the service center's job wasn't just to go, no, 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 it's fine, ding, and shut stuff. They were trying to share tips on how to. They were trying. I say tips on. That's really educating. What people should maybe be trying to do to try to to achieve these ranges and, and, and behave in that way, then I, I don't think it's as awful. I think I don't think it's as awful as it's necessarily being made out to be. The the bit about the cars not performing as uh, a customer a new customer is expecting is one thing. Obviously as we said at the start, there was the 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 team allegedly put together to try and squash this and that's that's not a good bit. Um but I think the problems with the the problems with the cars all manufacturers have, and all customers mm. will encounter. Yes, the, the the other not good bit was the one of the range estimates shows a rather optimistic choice, so that whenever you drive off the dealership forecourt, then it's showing three hundred and fifty whatever miles or whatever. The number you'll get from one indicator in the car is different from the number you'll get from a different indicator. From yeah. within the car, and that and that's not good either. No, if if that's happening, then then we're veering into Dieselgate territory of gaming a situation to give a figure that is not true. Well, that that and the fact that also um, when Tesla are calculating their range figures for the EPA, there's two different ways of doing it. One is you follow a formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is you follow one formula, and the other way is you follow a slightly different formula. And you'll find that Tesla follows the one which will actually give you a a a better number, whereas many of the other manufacturers I think um, Mercedes was interviewed in one of them. It might be the Jalopnik version, and said, "No, no, we use the other one because we don't want to be over promising to customers." And that's why whenever you get some of these range tests of what the manufacturers say that the the, the vehicles can manage compared to what the, the, the vehicle actually can, then there is a big discrepancy between the Tesla models and, and most others, not all. I think one of the examples there is the Porsche Taycan. Lots of people slammed the Taycan when it came out by saying, well, it's got not got nearly the same range as Tesla, not got nearly the same range as a Tesla. Well, actually, in close to real-life circumstances, it's got pretty much the same range as a Tesla, if not a bit better. It's just that the calculated numbers aren't as high, yeah. Because one uses one method and the other uses the other one, and that's the one problem with the EPA figures. EPA figures here in the US, I found, are generally pretty accurate. Yeah, they do seem to be much closer than the WLTP. 
mm-hmm. to to Rangers, which is disappointing that the WLTP can't get closer, mm. considering it's meant to be the, as close as we can get to the reality. Dashing off on a tangent here, it was one of the very few test cars I did see around Detroit last week. It was actually a Ford Cougar with all the emissions stuff hanging off the back. All right. Okay. That was interesting in two things. One, that it had loads of emissions stuff hanging off the back, and the other one was that it was a Ford Cougar. They don't sell that here. It's the Escape here. Right. Sorry. Anyway, I think that seg- that moves us nicely onto the next story by being completely irrelevant to both. <laughs> yes. Story about BT. I know we don't normally cover telecoms <laughs> when it comes to uh, when it comes to the motoring podcast, uh, but BT Group have launched a two-year scheme to convert on-street broadband cabinets into electric vehicle charging units once they've been decommissioned. Now, these are the copper, essentially, uh, broadband cabinets, uh, which you probably don't even notice exist. Uh, But they're on many, many street corners in the UK, uh, many, many streets. They they tend to just be these grey boxes that you see there. And they're where the fibre goes in and then essentially the copper comes out uh, to lead to your house. BT and OpenReach, its subsidiary, are trying to convert as many houses as possible towards uh, fibre instead. Uh, And that will mean that they don't necessarily have the same need or use for these boxes. Mm -hmm. The thing is, the boxes are there already. They exist on the street. They have a power supply to them. Uh, they have a whole sort of distribution network available from the box. So the thinking here is, hmm, maybe we could look at retrofitting these and using and using them as on-street EV charging points, mm. um, which seems rather logical and sensible. Yes, shock horror, especially when we're talking <laughs> about BT. I know. Um, what we don't, I mean, it's still the, towards the beginning of this, this project still going to take a couple of, couple of years. They need to look at the practical aspects, they need to look at the financial aspects, loads of things. So there's no promises that this is going to magically happen. No, they're starting in Northern Ireland with a few, uh, a mm. few controlled, uh, cabinets to, to get a, an understanding of what sort of undertaking this will be if they are to roll it out to, uh, the estimate is up to 60,000 of cabinets across the country. Mm-hmm. Now, this is good news for Northern Ireland because they are so poorly serviced with EV charging that, I mean, this might be a quick, yes. quicker way uh, to get charging accessible to more and more people, which you know, we all mm-hmm. know we need across the country, but Northern Ireland is, if you think you've got it bad, go to Northern mm-hmm. Ireland is, is pretty much yeah. what I would suggest. The story that we'll link to in the show notes from ED shows a rendering from, from BT Group, I think it's Edinburgh, and it shows a number of charging points, uh, pavement side, and as well as that, somebody has, has rendered in rather poorly a green box to show one of the charging, one of the broadband cabinets, because it's one of those things that people try and keep out of pictures normally, even stock photos, uh, uh, on the left of it. So there's a green box on the left, which is the broadband unit, and then you see there's a couple of those... Um, Oh, they're those very expensive, you know, you know, Great British charging yes. pole things that yes. were announced the ones that uh, and they've been blocked anywhere. in by. No one's installed. Really? I've no, yeah. Well, that's what they've used in the renderings here and, uh, yeah, in the street. And they're being iced in by a couple of non-EVs. Yes. 
sticking with EVs, but moving a little bit further backwards in the supply chain. And this is a nice article on the FT that is titled Myths are Clouding the Reality of Our Sustainable Energy Future. And this is all about the uh, precious metals that we're going to need. And you will have heard this discussed, but the precious metals we're going to need. Can we put a little caveat at the start to this, Andrew? Go on then. It's worth mentioning this is by Adair Turner, and he is the chair of the Energy Transitions Commission. So just to let you know that FT, reputable person, but he also happens to chair the commission in charge of all of this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, whether that's for good or, or bad, I just think it's a, it's one of those full disclosure moments. Yeah, no, that's, good. that's a good Sorry point. about that. But, but it's talking about the precious metals that are needed to create the batteries that we uh, are going to require uh, for solar panels, for all the sorts of stuff that we need for renewable energy supplies and for using that uh, trapped renewable energy. Because we, we often see there is a much jumping up and down on social media of, oh, no, we need all this, et cetera, et cetera. And it sounds huge, but then you'll see it positioned against you know the amount of coal that's being dug out the ground to fire up the uh, power stations in Europe or something like that. And you get an idea of how small it is. However, it should, we have to acknowledge, we still need to make more mines to, to dig out these things. Uh, and to do that, will harm the environment. There is no way around that. This article does acknowledge that, uh, and it also goes on to explain how this is never used, but it is sort of running in the background for the greater good. And local communities will be adversely hit by these moves. Mm -hmm. And it goes on to state that it needs to happen in um, developed and not just developing countries. Uh, And it needs to happen now. And we need to adjust the planning systems to allow some of these things to happen, um, but also that strict regulation needs to be put in place to make sure that uh, that there isn't unexpected or uh, unfair amounts of damage done. Um, I mean, well, mm-hmm. it's damage done is damage done, wh- wh- whether we're wanting something new or not. <laughs> Both physically, environmentally, and economically as well. Yeah, absolutely. So this this is an interesting article that just puts a little bit of perspective in there, but also is real about whatever we do, there will be problems environmentally, <laughs> and we need to face up to them. And I think one of our biggest barriers, as we have been seeing with renewable energy, like solar panel farms uh, and wind farms, is there is a lot of not in my backyard going on and oh, yeah. and we need to do something about that to ensure that that does not stop us dealing with the problems that are that we are aware are happening mm-hmm. there's a link in that article uh, where you can download the material and resource requirements for energy transition um report as well yeah go straight it. png transitions commission yeah yeah so yes, well, that takes us uh, in rather shorter time than we normally manage to Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, 
then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. We do have some new 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 car news. Do you want to mm-hmm. kick us off there, Alan? Then. Oh, by the way, before you before you do this one, this is just the way that the articles have fallen. This is not a drinking game moment. <laughs> that would be unfair. And it wasn't me who selected it to include as well. I just want to make all of that clear. The reason that Andrew's making fuss is because uh, we're going to talk very briefly about the new Lexus LM. The LM is, I think we mentioned it briefly before. Yeah. I think we did. It's the LM stands for Luxury Mover. Uh, It is essentially a one-box people mover based on the Alphard. It looks it. From, from, yeah, um, based on the Alphard in Japan, which is just a, a Toyota model. And the idea is that it is essentially a luxury people mover, something that's mostly missing uh, these days, ever since the demise of the the Chrysler town and country, Chrysler Voyager, which was, was what pop stars used to be moved around in uh, quite a lot. Curiously, it's actually based on the same platform. It's not based on a van platform. It's based on the same platform as the Toyota Highlander, RAV4, and Lexus RX. It's very much from a car point of view, mm. uh, much like MPVs, as opposed to from a, a van uh, background. It's going to be powered by a two and a half liter hybrid powertrain, um, same one as you see in the NX and the RX. It's two hundred and forty-six horsepower and one hundred and seventy-six pound-feet of torque. You can get it in front or four-wheel drive, and uh, you can get it in a number of seating configurations, uh, most notably the seven-seat, uh, which obviously is is goes two, three, two. In fact, it possibly doesn't. I'll shut up. Because there's nothing here that actually says. No, they don't go. There's the problem with this is there. There are some details, not all the details. Not have all been of re- them revealed yet. So, so it it's possible that there's two captains' chairs and then a bench at the back, or the other way around. Yeah. But yeah, essentially, it is a Lexus people carrier, seven and four seat setup. So if you go for the absolute top of the range, and this is the one that makes the headlines, which is. Essentially, an incredibly spacious limousine with two reclining first or business class style aircraft seats in the back and everything. That's going to come in at £112,995. You don't have to pay for that. I mean, that that one there, by the way, when I say airline style reclining seats, that's what I mean. Also, a 48-inch widescreen TV, 23-speaker surround audio system. These are all the kind of things that you would normally have to take a V-Class, which is you know, Mercedes V-Class, which is basically the only other competition in the UK to a custom coach builder to have add to that. Mm. You'd have to go to someone like Carlson or something like that. Okay, whereas this one, I'm going to say off the shelf in a sort of relative term, but you don't need to do that. But But you don't have to go to a third party. Uh, you also get fold-out tables, several USB ports, wireless phone chargers, reading lights, vanity mirrors, a fridge, an umbrella holder, 
a privacy panel. Also, it's a full limousine. Yeah. It's just it's in a van. Yeah. So it's far more subtle. The seven seat version, not quite as everything, but it will start at eighty nine thousand nine hundred ninety five pounds. The V class currently starts at just on the smidgen under seventy thousand pounds. But remember, on that with Mercedes pricing, you generally have to pay for you know floor mats and stuff. Yes. That's an example. I'm not saying you definitely do. Yes. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've I always think that the you see there's a much bigger market for these kind of vehicles in in other countries. I remember when I was some time ago when I was at university in Thailand, then that was where I first saw the sort of Mitsubishi Delica uh, and these kind of vehicles where where really they are, you know, the the more luxurious ones. Then then that's what people get driven around in. Mm. It's more subtle than a an S class or something like that. Uh, and actually, if you're very, very rich and don't necessarily want to show it off, this is the kind of vehicle that you're driven in. It's also far more practical in cities. It's easier to get in and out of all these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very cool. I like it a lot. I would. Yeah, like it a lot. Uh, I, I like the adaptability of it as well. Um, be interesting to give mm. one a, a spin when they actually come to the uh, come to the UK because I like the idea of the for added p- privacy. A dimmable glass panel that can be raised or lowered between I, the front passengers and the, the rear. Seven seat one. I don't think that comes. It should, be, seven that seat should one. be that should be fitted as standard as the family pack. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Okay, I'm going to continue to stick with the large vehicle theme, and this time going to the facelift of the Kia Sorento for this year. Now, they have uh, freshened up the front of it, so it looks a little bit more in line with the EV9 that is due out towards the end of the year, early next year. And they are going to continue with, it is expected, because again, details are a little bit sparse, it is expected that they will continue with the same drive uh, and powertrains that they, we currently have. So there's a 2.2 litre four-cylinder diesel, uh, a one6 litre turbocharged petrol that's hybridized i'm presuming that means mild hybrid if they're saying hybridized otherwise they call it a hybrid i don't know but then they say it's the same engine with a plug-in hybrid system yeah so then there is a plug-in hybrid I as well. it's a little bit it's a little yeah, bit and fuzzy if you look there. at the difference in the power outputs because it for the hybridized is 227 brake horsepower but with the plug-in hybrids 281 that's a that's a big that implies large alternator to actually hybrid to me yes i think so yeah so it will be a mild hybrid uh, uh is the normal one and then there's the plug-in hybrid is the top of the range prices again have not been revealed but they're expected as all car prices seem to be doing at the moment because everything is going up slightly so they're uh, so this Autocar article expects prices to start from 42000 uh going up to 50000 for the plug-in hybrid at the top of the range. It's not just the outside that's been refreshed. Inside is now as well. It's been made simpler and cleaner. They've got the one large screen that goes from behind the steering wheel into the centre console that we have seen in the EV6 and the Sportage. So that is something that is now just going to be wheeled out across the range as as cars are are brought up to date. Uh, That's a very good system. It it looks good. It's easy to use and that sort of stuff. They've they've added some interior colours of interstellar grey, volcanic brown and cityscape green. Green on the interior. I wonder where. Wonder where that's going to be. I don't know. 
But it sounds nice. It's a better than Hall of Calcutta black. Well, yes. Something that isn't black on black on black is I'm all for. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, just, just out of uh, interest, the Sorento is the only car in the Kia range that still has a diesel powertrain. This is because of demand for it, uh, which I'm not surprised in a, in a large vehicle like this, but that might change. Be interesting to see whether they cannibalize from themselves with the EV9. I imagine one of the reasons that Sorento still has the diesel powertrains that are very popular with towing people. Yes, uh, that will be true, yes. They've got very high towing, a relatively high towing capacity for caravans and horses and all these kind of things. Yeah. That's one of the reasons of Sorento. That's been a, as far as I'm aware, that's been a relatively course of quietly key market uh, for the for the Sorento mm. um, is horsey people. No, it's, it's a good. I, I like them. I like them actually. <laughs> this, well, there's, the thing is, there's not a, there's not a lot of stuff that can do that kind of thing. No, much below a, 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 anything from the House of Browns. Yes, I think yeah, you are going up to that sort of price point, which is significantly north for the towing capacity. It's either that or a pickup truck. Yeah, and it's sort of all of them left either. Yes, yeah. so. Right, I think that takes us to points of interest. Um, do you want to start us off, Alan? It does. I was busy doing stuff on Sunday, mostly so that I could avoid the, the FOMO uh, that came from FOTU. Uh, so yeah, last Sunday was Festival of the Unexceptional. And it looks as good as it, it always does, really, Yes, to be honest. So there's a couple of articles I think have come out of that. Uh, worth having a look at. First of all, of course, it's from Haggerty themselves, who organise and sponsor uh, the event. And the second of which is uh, comes from Keith Adams, which includes a bit of a browse around the car park as well, because really, the cars on show for the for the concourse are only a tiny fraction of what's there and what's interesting. Uh, so it's 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 yeah, the car park is is always worth the walk. Yeah. Uh, so we shall link to both of those uh, for your lunchtime reads. Congratulations to the winners and for their fantastic, uh, for their fantastic work actually preparing and trying to source bits for cars which have pretty much disappeared. Yeah. To to be honest. So well done to Stephen Pike, who brought his 1991 Dacia applause from Sweden. It's taken him two years to get that sorted out, and he was saying how surprised he was to have, have won, really, because he, he thought it was still a work in progress, but there we go. Uh, well done to Sean Hudson with his, his Metro. Uh, I know loads of work have gone into that. You can find out uh, more about that in loads of other places. And uh, also, uh, Hugo Nye. This is why I ended up with this, isn't it? Hugo Nikens from the Netherlands uh, with his... There's Subaru Justy uh, as well. Those were everywhere when I was a kid, and you just do not see them anymore. Yeah. Uh, at all, ever, anywhere. Um, but yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of stuff on YouTube as well. If you're still, if you haven't seen uh, any of the coverage, but there's lots of YouTube, the, the usual suspects that we follow and recommend to you, they've got videos out and everything. Uh, and that uh, car magazine uh, article is a, a bonus list of the week in, in our coverage. 
Yes, yeah, 20 cars we want to take home with us. Yeah. And most of them I probably would. I'd have to say it'd be the Mark 1. I've always liked those. I want the Audi 80. Blame And in that colour. That's all right. And in that colour. Yes. Yes. A a geography teacher had one of those Audi 80s at the same time as a French teacher had the the Serbi. Yeah, okay. You're sharing our ages here. We are. The actual um, list of the week, though, Andrew? Yeah, the actual list of the week. So Alan didn't feel too left out. This one's a little bit US-centric because I know he was upset that he couldn't get to uh, Festival of the Unexceptional from the US, uh, but that, that would have required quite quite large logistics uh, and, and a bit more than just a little road trip. So uh, these yeah. this is a Jalopnik list of the week, and these are the cars that define the 2010s. And now, whilst uh, I'll just caveat this uh, before we start, whilst some of the vehicles are very much US-centric, others we will know and recognise mm-hmm. uh, and love stroke loathe depending on your your point of view but the ones that are us they are put under certain categories which i think we can all understand and be on board with yes in in a lot of cases um in a lot of cases there was a there was an equivalent yeah in the uk and in europe yeah is is there any on here that really stand out more than others to you because i mean it's when I see some of these pictures, some of them yes. I go, oh, well, that, years ago, and others I go, well, that's new now. I, in some cases, it's worse than others. Um, I think the big one is always, in, in the future, is, is always going to be the crossovers and crossover SUVs. Uh-huh. The fact that it went from, sure, there were some that were already around, uh, like RAV4, CRV, many of these. Then all of a sudden, everyone had them. Yeah. You know, we had the BMW X1 and X3, all sorts of offerings from Mercedes, some of which we didn't get in the UK, like the GLK. But yeah, that and definitely in, in, in white, gray, or black, and not, not in any color. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think is, is the one there that, that, that particularly stands out. There's lots of other stuff. Um, there's, there's many things in this list. Uh, what about you, Andrew? I think that's probably enough that you can choose one. Um, the summer. Uh, well, the well, what we saw is the Malou, but the Honda Ute. Uh, that seems such a a short lived, fantastic thing. The, the Holden. Yeah. Ute. Sorry, it's just somebody will pick it up. Yes, yeah, sorry, the the Holden. Ute. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the whole, I think the whole pickup trucks thing. Mm. They they came and went. Um, I know that it covers a number of categories here, but I think the whole pickup trucks thing, where there was that tax loophole, yeah, in the UK, and so all of a sudden everyone had a all the dentists, Barbary, Worry, Thunder, yes, whatever. You know, I think that was a, that was a big one, but which seems to have disappeared now. But yeah, it did. Yeah. Mm. yeah, there's loads more to check out though, so do click the link in the show notes, uh, as ever. And finally, this week is another watchy one, and it comes from it comes from Haggerty, but it doesn't really. It comes from YouTube, and it's talking about saving rally history from deteriorating VHS tapes, uh, as it says in the in the title there. Uh, and it's all about uh, VHS rallies. I, I don't know if this has been proposed to any of you on on YouTube. I know I con- constantly from my and every now and again I click on it. 
they sort of scan old rally footage uh, and shows from from VHS tapes, um, make sure there's a digital copy, and then uh, post that uh, onto YouTube. In many cases, not just rallies, but rally cross and all sorts of all sorts of other stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's a great YouTube. Yeah, so it's good good to have on the background. I find. Yeah, if you if you're into any uh, rally stuff, particularly British coverage from the 80s to mm. the 2000s, then this is this is the channel for you. And you know, whilst we don't cover rally anymore on the show because we can't do it the justice it deserves uh, and others are, are perfectly good at it and we've you know in in our coverage we linked you to the people we think you should follow dirtfish folks dirtfish yeah this is the time when certainly my real love for rally was started was this this coverage these end of end of day reports that we would get and things like that and they're just just mm. brilliant and it takes takes you back but it also shows you how insane some of the vehicles were Tony Mason standing in the uh, sta- standing in the snow, yes, or the mud type of thing. Yeah, that's, that's what I yes. was thinking. Lots of, lots of bobble hats and forests. Fantastic. Mm. It's great. It's really good stuff. Yep. Uh, I think that's us for this week, Andrew. Are there any parish notes? No parish notes. Sorry, it's so short. It'd be probably our only parish note, but there is literally no news. Unless we were going to fall down the political football that is the motorist now rabbit hole, and we're not prepared to do that. No, not at half past six in the morning. No, and you don't want to listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. If you want that, there's plenty of other. There's at least one YouTube channel I can think of. (laughs) If you want that kind of stuff, knock yourselves out with that. I know I won't be. Anyway. Moving, moving swiftly on. Uh, don't forget to now and next week and give us any feedback. Share your thoughts or show at Motoring Podcast on all of the established uh, social networks and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is to search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon where you should find me. Um, and Alan, if people would like to speak to you personally, what's the best way for them to discuss your teacher's cars from when you were at school? Uh, then it's probably best to use, well, as I say, any of the established social networks, whatever they're called this week, uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.